1: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. This is Molly Edmonds. And this is Kristen Conger. You know, we don't usually say our last names when we say hello to you all, but today we're going to be talking about maiden names. And since neither Kristen nor I are married... Old maids. <laughs> since we're old maids, we can talk about our maiden names since we still have them. We're still clinging on to them for dear life. You know, my father sends me emails about keeping my maiden name when I get married. Yeah? He would rather I stay in Edmonds.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I like think- Conger. Has a nice ring to it, Kristen and Conger. You know,
0: there's a town, um, called Edmonds, Washington, out in Seattle. You should move there. Where I used to live. And it's just a darling town. When my father and I went out there, we took pictures with literally everything that had Edmonds on it. At one point, Kristen, I kid you not, this pickup truck drove by. I don't know what this truck was for. Um, but the back of the truck said Princess of Edmonds. And my dad was like, get in the truck. We'll get your picture. <laughs> and, uh, and, I mean, I hope the people who actually own the truck didn't see that. But I've got a great picture with with Princess of Edmonds over it. You should post it on uh, our blog, How To Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> related
1: um, to nothing, but just, you know. Apropos nothing. Yeah. Well, the reason we've got maiden names on the brain, Molly, is uh, because of a survey that was recently released, came from Indiana University, that found that 70% of the survey respondents thought that women should give up Their maiden names assume their husband's name when they get married. And even more surprisingly, I thought, was that fifty percent of those respondents thought it should become a legal requirement for a woman to take her spouse's last name.
0: Yeah, and this is not just, you know, some men asserting their authority. Both men and women were in this survey. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, you know, people want it to be a legal requirement is so Bizarre to me because we already have so many people fighting against laws about, um, you know, what you can do when you get married and who can get married and all this stuff that you wouldn't think that all of a sudden people would want a law about changing your name after you get married.
1: Right. And as we will, uh, talk about a little later in the podcast, um, a lot of those similar kinds of laws have been struck down a long time ago. So it seems like we would be taking a legal, big old backward step if yeah. we were to pass something like that. But, um, uh, right now, only about 5 to 10% of women who get married keep their, their maiden name.
0: Right. There was another recent survey done by The Knot, and about 88% of women in, uh, I think there were 18,000 couples surveyed were going to, uh, change their name. 88%. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's not even an issue. Maybe everyone just changes their name regardless, but it seems like, you know, you hear a lot about the famous hyphenated names. Yeah. Um, you know, women keeping their name. It seems like this big deal, and yet so many women just go along with tradition.
1: Well, and it is a big deal, Molly. Uh, with that same survey that you mentioned from thenot.com, 60% of those respondents said that um, the, this name change factor was the biggest post-marriage change for them. And I remember when my sister, um, got married, she, it was a big deal for her. I remember talking to her about it. She thought long and hard about what to do, um, with conger and, um, for, for her privacy, I, I will, I will, you know, not, not talk about the details, but it was, it was, you know, a big deal for her because she was worried about, you know, this idea of losing her identity. You know, she did assume her husband's name, but at the same time wanting to respect tradition and all of that. So I think it's definitely a big deal for women.
0: And it seems that the reason most women cite for changing their name is just a matter of convenience, Mm -hmm. especially if you have kids. It's just easy to be able to go to school and have, you know, four people all with the same last name. Yeah. But what are the reasons for not changing your name? Let's go back to that. Let's go back to the first woman who bucked tradition and did not change her married name.
1: Yes, this is a suffragette named Lucy Stone, who uh, in the 1850s, when she got married to an abolitionist named Henry Blackwell at the age of 37. Uh, she decided to keep her name. Lucy Stone was going to remain Lucy Stone. And in 1921,
0: uh, women founded the Lucy Stone League to devote themselves to this cause of preserving women's names. Um, you know, that's when you've got a lot of this women's rights stuff kicking in. But, you know, even though women were getting more rights um, Taking on greater roles in society, it didn't really catch on. There weren't many, um, people who followed in Lucy Stone's footsteps for a long time.
1: Right. And at the time, there were, um, these things called head and master laws, which required women in some states to take a husband's name, which is, you know, what, what I referred to earlier when, with people that 50% of respondents wanting Similar laws to go back on the books.
0: Yeah, and it was—it's really kind of scary. There are some states where you couldn't get a driver's license unless you had your husband's last name. Um, in Tennessee, for example, you couldn't uh, register to vote unless you had your husband's last name. Mm-hmm. And you know, then if you had the last name and got divorced, you couldn't take back your own name unless you could prove definitively in court that the divorce was the husband's fault. Right which I'm sure is not easy to do in a court of law.
1: Yeah, so there are all these restrictions um, with uh, a woman's last name. And then when we have the rise of second wave feminism in the 1970s, we have a resurgence of this issue of women keeping their last names when they get married. Um, and at that time, that's when a lot of those headmaster laws um, are struck down.
0: And sort of the changes that happened thanks to that wave of feminism, things like women marrying later, um, going on for higher levels of education, Mm -hmm. people really started to realize that you can make your name for your, make this name for yourself, especially if you were in a career like writing or the arts that would be really damaging to change later on. Right. So as women started to get married later, you know, it just, it didn't make sense to spend almost half your life as one thing and then all of a sudden switch to another. And that's when we really start to see, the big numbers of women keeping their names.
1: Yeah, and then in the 80s, you have more of a trend towards um, women hyphenating, you know, between like the husband husband's last name and her last name. So there's a little bit more of a compromise. And we came across a study by a researcher at Harvard University that was examining um, uh, how this, this trend of women keeping their last names. And she basically found that there was sort of a spike in, um, women keeping them in the seventies and eighties. But then an interesting thing happened in the nineties when that, when that trend kind of plateaued and even dipped down a little bit. Right. Uh, that
0: same Harvard, uh, researcher estimated that in 1990, you've got 23% of women keeping their own last name. By 2000, it's down to 17%. This mm-hmm. so it's still pretty sizable, but we definitely are seeing a downward trend. Um, For reasons of convenience. Um, But also, you know, one big predictor of whether women are going to keep their name is a religious background. If they're getting married in a religious ceremony, she went through uh, all these New York Times wedding announcements and found usually that if there was. A religious ceremony, then the bride was more likely
1: to take the husband's name. It's interesting, and I think from that same study, um, the major predictors for whether or not a woman would keep her name were if she would get married at a later age, mm-hmm. uh, whether or not she was in an arts or writing career. So, like human I beings, I was about to say we're Watch not out. prime candidates for changing our name. Uh, and um, how how much of a you know career she had built for herself, right? And you know sometimes it looks like the
0: the field of the career matters. It's you know, she was looking at women with graduate degrees. And, as Kristen said, arts and writing is a much bigger predictor of changing your name than something like having an MBA or being in the business field. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've talked about reasons why women might keep their names, but you know, there's there's just sort of these weird combinations that erupt. I do have um some friends who made up an entirely new name for themselves. They took four letters from the female's name and four letters from the male's name, smashed them together. And, uh, that's their last name. Name smash. A name smash. Sounds kind of fun,
1: actually, to do. It
0: sounds fun, but you know, we were reading this article in Salon about how are you cutting, you know, your children off from any sense of family history? You know, you're trying to give your kids the best of both worlds, um, you know, an equal share in both their mother and their father's side, but then do you end up with these kids who just, you know, are really kind of cut off from both sides.
1: And then with the issue of hyphenated names, so, you know, you, you get married, you hyphenate your name, you have a child, and he or she has a hyphenated name. But what if your hyphenated child falls in love with another hyphenated child, and then they get married? So will their children be hyphenated hyphenated children? I don't know. I mean, it, it just gets complicated at some point. It's already
0: hard enough, you know, to get a really long last name on some government forms. You mm-hmm. know, just that one hyphenated person might have enough trouble, and then you you got to
1: throw in the other name. Well, Molly, there's always, there's an option we have not talked about yet. Okay. Why can't the husband just take my name? Why can't, why can't Mr. Conger, you know, exist? Oh, Kristen, he can, but he is going to have a lot of
0: hoops to jump through to do so. Not only just, you know, the egging on of his friends. We were reading articles about men who did try to take their wife's last name. We read one article about a guy who took his wife's name and got a lot of feedback from his friends that essentially amounted to hey, bud, you need to turn in your man card. Your man card. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) But the fact that a man is willing to do that not only shows some sort of, you know, bucking up tradition, but it's really hard to do.
1: Yeah, especially uh post 9/11, um, changing your name for your legal name is not as easy as it used to be. For a woman, it's it's pretty simple when you get married. There um there are actually kits, toolkits that you can buy for twenty, thirty bucks, and it's got all the documents in it for you to sign and send off to get everything changed for you. But for a guy to do it, he has to spend a lot more money, a lot more time. It's a legal process. Yeah, so it's kind of a complicated legal process for men to go through. Um,
0: But, you know, some men are doing a little bit of a compromise, and I've seen couples where um, the man and the woman take both names. So, you know, um, both of you would become, you know, let's say you're dating a guy named Jones, both of you become like Conger Jones. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, then you just have friends who are lazy and refuse to call you by your entire name. Yeah. And you get lazy, too. It's not like you
1: want to always... Answer the phone and say, this is Kristen Conger Jones. But what about, um, abroad, Molly? We're talking about last name traditions in the States. Mm -hmm. I mean, other, other countries have a little more creative, um, customs. Right. In
0: Russia, they, um, have what's known as the patronymic, patronymic name so that if you're a girl, you get a feminized version of both your, of your father's, in Russia, they have this uh, tradition of the patronymic name, where you get, um, if you're a female, uh, a feminized version of your father's name, so that your middle name and your last name are a feminine version of your father's name. And um, if you're a male, you get sort of another kind of male version of both names. That's why, you know, a lot of people have trouble reading Russian literatures, because everyone's got the same name. If you're reading a book about a father with his five kids...
1: They all have the same name. Mm-hmm. And then in over in Iceland, there's sort of a similar uh, patronymic custom where all of the last names are um, basically translated as son of and then, you know, whatever the, the surname is. So it carries on through the father, mm-hmm. father's line.
0: But then you were telling me about naming in Spain... Um, where the rain stays mainly on the plain. And it's really interesting. It's really confusing
1: to me. I think I still need a diagram, but tell me about what they do. It is a little um, confusing. And I, and I do have a diagram in front of me that, that I did draw out. Um, and I remember learning this in Spanish class and it, it took my brain for a minute to, to pick up on it. But this is the custom in, um, in Spain and in uh, Latin American countries that I think provides a nice, compromise because the first thing with um, a spanish name is you have you know let's say gabriel garcia marquez okay one of my faves um garcia marquez is actually garcia is not his middle name mm-hmm. he actually has two surnames or apellidos and garcia is his primary surname mm-hmm. and then marquez is his secondary surname okay and garcia he got from his dad okay and marquez comes from his mom so That's the way everyone's name is. It's like your first name and then the surname from your father and then the surname, primary surname from your mother. So let's say that Gabriel Garcia Marquez gets married to, oh, I don't know, Frida Kahlo Calderon. Okay, Okay, so Kahlo comes from her dad Mm -hmm. and Calderon comes from her mom. So she gets married. First of all, it's not really a big deal in um, Spanish culture for a woman just to you know, keep her her name as is when she gets married. But if she does decide to take on um, her husband's name, she would then become Frilo, Frida Kahlo Garcia. So she takes on his primary surname mm-hmm. and turns it into her secondary surname. Gotcha. OK, so the thing I like about that is even though you might be taking a name from your husband, you're still retaining Technically, your last name, like Kahlo is your primary surname and what would be um, akin to our last names, gotcha. in way, you know, in the, yeah. in the States. But what if they have kids? Now, if they have kids, this is what I also like. The child has a name from the father and from the mother. Okay. So both sides are represented. So if, uh, you know, Gabriel and Frida had a little baby, it would be, you know, uh, Miguel Garcia Kahlo. Wow. Oh. And the, their household would be known as the Garcia Calos. So it recognizes the union mm-hmm. of both the man and, you know, the woman. And, uh, but you're still able to trace the lineage, but it recognizes the different households. That's cool. So if he lives next door to his father, it'd be easy to say that's that house and that's that yes. house. Yes. Yes. The Garcia Marquez's as opposed to the Garcia Calos, but they're all part of the same line. Nice. I thought, you know, I mean, it's still, you still are taking, it's the paternal surnames that end up tracing down the line, but the woman still is able to keep that link to her family and to pass on her her name from her family to her children. You know, it's interesting you bring up paternal surnames because
0: I would say that even if women have this, you know, internal dilemma about whether to keep their name or not, there's usually, you know, very rarely a question that the kids will get the father's last name. Mm -hmm. I can only think of one instance where I had a coworker, um, she was female and she was, you know, the only side of that family. That was me like their only grandchild mm-hmm. and the father side had a lot of grandchildren. So they gave the kid the mother's last name. Mm-hmm. But there was this really interesting blog, um, on psychology a day that talked about the reason that we're so hung up on giving our kids their father's name is because it's sort of this reinforcement of the fact that the baby is theirs and they should invest in it and, you know, Resources.
1: Yeah. And because there's never really any question of, uh, whether or not you are your mother's child. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of a given, <laughs> but, uh, but with that, there might be more of a question. And so this guy is saying that, you know, it goes back to evolutionary biology of, you know, a woman wanting, you know, to entice, you know, the man to invest resources in his children. So she's going to say, Hey, I'm going to, you know, this is your child. This is your last name. So yeah. go
0: hunt <laughs> and gather. <laughs> But um, but the nice thing, you know, we were talking about all these weird choices. You know, they're not well, they're not weird, but we have all these choices today, despite the fact that many women are just choosing to go with tradition. But the nice thing, this kind of ties back to what we were talking about in our feminism podcast is that, you know, people might think that feminists would be really disappointed in us with all this work they did to keep your own identity, keep your own name. But the fact that women have this choice and exercise the choice is actually sort of a perfect demonstration of how feminism has worked for us
1: yeah and it is a personal decision i mean it's a you know going back to that survey from the knot that said that you know 60 percent of the respondents said you know this is one of the biggest issues going into to marriage and it's and it's a personal decision for a couple Mm -hmm. to talk about you know if you need to compromise you need to be able to come to a compromise if you want to hyphenate you want to make a name smash you want to you know Keep your own name. He should take your name. Whatever. It's something you should talk about. And Molly, I think it will be interesting, too, in the coming years when we have um, to see how the rise of civil unions and gay marriage, how that might kind of change this whole concept, too. If that'll yeah. kind of lessen the social stigma around it. Yeah. So
0: I've always said I'm only going to change if it's aesthetically pleasing to me. And I think that's a big consideration
1: for people. Yeah. One of my sisters. um, Names? <laughs> Once she got married, her first and last name now rhyme. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be Molly Uwali. <laughs> yeah. Or do I? Or do you? <laughs> well, we would like to hear your thoughts on this. Do you think that women should keep their maiden names when they get married? Or, um, do you think it doesn't matter? Just go with what's easy. And go if you tradition. did change your name, did you struggle with it? Do you yeah. miss your old name? Or if you kept your name, did you, uh, how'd that, how'd, how'd that go? Basically, we want to hear every single viewpoint on this issue you possibly <laughs> we have. We want to know your thoughts. And speaking of knowing your thoughts, it is a good time now, Molly, for a little bit of Lister Mail. <laughs> this week in Lister Mail, we're going to talk about polygamy. We got some interesting feedback on our uh, polygamy podcast. Um, uh, Tassin and I don't know where Tassin's from, but Tassin wrote in and he, um, he is a Muslim and he wanted to comment on the Me podcast. Um, he said the translation from the Quran that you quoted is correct. However, you did fail to mention another verse. And this is from Surah chapter four, verse one twenty-nine. Uh, Ye are never able to do justice between wives, even if it is your ardent desire. But turn not away from a woman altogether so as to leave her, as it were, hanging in the air. And he says some scholars believe that if you take this verse into account when looking at the meaning of a prior verse, it suggests that marrying two, three or four women is OK. Um, but this verse basically says that since you can never treat your wives equally, that polygamy is then forbidden. He says now I completely understand that this is not what is practiced in the Middle East, but I just wanted to shed some light on the subject. I'm not trying to defend Islam as much as show that some cultural ideologies or old traditions may come into play when there is a disagreement or lack of consensus among scholars about Uh, what particular verses mean. I myself am a happily married Muslim man who's never considered and will never consider polygamy because I do not think it is right. Okay. So that's a very interesting perspective. And then we got in um, another email from Samuel. Samuel who had a lot to say um, and two of the points that he brought up that I thought were interesting was um, he he saw a documentary at BYU from a modern polygamous spokesperson who was defending polygamy and uh, he thought it was the guy made an interesting argument saying that polygamy is regarded as taboo and wrong but at the same time our culture seems to respect and promote men who sleep around with many women and maybe have even fathered multiple children, making them seem cool and hip, living in cohabitation and uh, not committing to anyone. Yet when you have a man who tries to form a committed relationship with several women and provide for them and take care and take care of them, it suddenly becomes wrong and evil. It seems backwards to me. Interesting thought. And then, um, I liked this one. He says, this is just from my point of view, but there are a lot of scumbag men out there as the stereotype promotes and a lot of good women. For example, single mothers who are good and trying to live an honest life who get abandoned by men and such. They deserve to be with someone equally as good and committed and honest. And I think that women are usually better and more righteous. <laughs> yeah, more righteous than men anyway. Um, so, so many good women and so little good men. Why not practice polygamy so that all the good, so that all can enjoy the goodness that comes from marriage and relationships? Wow.
0: Interesting perspective, Samuel. That is an interesting perspective. And one more on polygamy. This is from Sean Lee. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And you know, Krista, when we did that podcast, we kind of started off with big love mm-hmm. and then transitioned into this perhaps utopian world where women have these choices. And Sean Lee lives in Utah and wanted to make sure that we know that, you know, the realities of polygamy in Utah are nothing like big love and that women don't have these choices. So she wrote in that, um, right, women in these situations do not have choice of any kind. Most often the sexual relations in these marriages are quite literally situations of rape. Not only are they severely undereducated, they are also taught from birth that they are inferior to men, have been treated as such all their lives and are often bought and sold like chattel. Um, but then she goes on, once she talks about sort of the role of women in Utah, um, other untold victims of polygamy in Utah and this lifestyle are the young boys. Um, contrary to our podcast, polygamy is not plagued with too many men, nor do polygamous fathers want sense to carry on the family name. Boys around 12 or 13 are regularly dropped off in the local Walmart parking lot to fend for themselves. And these boys are called the Lost Boys. And she pointed us to a website, childbrides.org which is run from Utah to help people transitioning from a polygamous lifestyle. So, Interesting. that was, we really
1: liked seeing everyone's viewpoints on polygamy. Yeah, we had some great feedback from that. So, as always, if you have any questions or comments, or just want to tell us a little story, feel free to send us an email at momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com and if you just want to expand your mind and learn more go and read some fascinating articles at HowStuffWorks.com For more on this and thousands of other topics visit HowStuffWorks.com Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?
0: If you crack open an American history book, it's sure to be filled with founding fathers, bloody wars, and the inventions that brought this country to the industrial age. But there's a whole other world that waits for us in the shadows. Tales of unlikely heroes, world-changing tragedies, and legends that are unique to this country's spirit. So join me, Lauren Vogelbaum, for a tour of American history unlike any other, through a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Aaron Menke's Grim & Mild. Get ready for American Shadows. Listen to American Shadows on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Dear Young Rockers Season 2 is a raw, honest, strange, and entertaining story about finding yourself in your early 20s and a lifelong relationship with music. It's hosted by me, Chelsea Erson, and is executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis Productions and iHeartRadio. Listen to Dear Young Rocker on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.